Act Four of Trelawney of the Wells by Arthur Wing Panero. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Act Four. The scene represents the stage of a theater with the proscenium arch and the dark and empty auditorium in the distance. The curtain is raised. The stage extends a few feet beyond the line of the proscenium and is terminated by a row of old-fashioned footlights with metal reflectors. On the left from the proscenium arch runs a wall in which is an open doorway supposed to admit to the green room. Right and left of the stage are the P and OP and the first of the second entrances, with wings running in grooves according to the old fashion. Against the wall are some flats. Just below the footlights is a tea light burning gas, and below this the prompt table. On the right of the prompt table is a chair, and on the left another. Against the edge of the proscenium arch is another chair, and nearer on the right stands a large throne chair, with a gilt frame and red velvet seat, now much dilapidated. In the second entrance there are a property stool, a table, and a chair, all of a similar style to the throne chair, and in like condition. And on the center, as if placed there for the purpose of rehearsal, are a small circular table and a chair. On this table is a work-basket containing a ball of wool and a pair of knitting needles. And on the prompt table there is a book. A faded and ragged green vase covers the floor of the stage. The wings and the flats and borders suggest by their appearance a theater fallen somewhat into decay. The light is a dismal one, but it is relieved by a shaft of sunlight entering through a window in the flies on the right. Mrs. Telfer is seated upon the throne chair in an attitude of dejection. Telfer enters from the green room. Telfer coming to her. Is that you, Violet? Is the reading over? Almost. My part is confined to the latter half of the second act. So, being close to the green-room door, I stole away. It affords you no opportunity, James. Telfer, shaking his head. A mere fragment. Mrs. Telfer, rising. Well, but a few good speeches to a man of your stamp. Yes, but this is so liney, Violet, so very liney. And what do you think the character is described as? What? An old, stagey, out-of-date actor. They stand looking at each other for a moment, silently. Mrs. Telfer falteringly. Will you be able to get near it, James? Telfer looking away from her. I dare say. Mrs. Telfer laying a hand upon his shoulder. Well, that's all right, then. And you, what have they called you for if you're not in the play? They've not dared to suggest understudy. Mrs. Telfer played with her fingers. They don't ask me to act at all, James. Don't ask you? Miss Parrot has offered me the position of wardrobe mistress. Violet. Hush. Let us both go home. Mrs. Telfer restraining him. No, let us remain. We've been idle six months, and I can't bear to see you without your watch and all your comforts about you. 
Telfer, pointing toward the green room. And so this new-fangled stuff and these dandified people are to push us, and such as us, from our stools. Yes, James, just as some other new fashion will, in course of time, push them from their stools. From the green room comes the sound of a slight clapping of hands, followed by a murmur of voices. The Telfers move away. Imogen, elaborately dressed, enters from the green room and goes leisurely to the prompt table. She is followed by Tom, manuscript in hand, smarter than usual in appearance, and he by O'Dwyer, an excitable Irishman of about forty, with an extravagant head of hair, who carries a small bundle of parts in brown paper covers. Tom and O'Dwyer join Imogen. O'Dwyer to Tom. Mr. Hunch, I congratulate ye. I have that honor, sir. Your piece will do, sir. It will take the town, mark me. Thank you, O'Dwyer. Look at the sunshine. There's a good omen at any rate. Oh, sunshine's nothing. To Tom. But did ye observe the gloom of their faces while you were reading? Imogen, anxiously. Yes, they did look glum. Glum? It might have been a funeral. There's a healthy prognostication for ye, if you like it's infallible. A keen-faced gentleman and a lady enter from the green room and stroll across the stage to the right, where they lean against the wings and talk. Then two young gentlemen enter, and Rose follows. Rose shaking hands with Telfer. Why didn't you send near me, Mr. Telfer? Going to Mrs. Telfer. Fancy our being together again and at the West End. To Telfer. Do you like the play? Like it? There's not a speech in it, my dear. Not a real speech. Nothing to dig your teeth into. O'Dwyer allotting the parts under the direction of Tom and Imogen. Mr. Mortimer. One of the young gentlemen advances and receives his part from O'Dwyer and retires reading it. Mr. Denzel. The keen-faced gentleman takes his part, then joins Imogen on her left and talks to her. The lady now has something to say to the solitary young gentleman. Tom to O'Dwyer, quietly handing him a part. Miss Brewster. O'Dwyer, beckoning to the lady, who does not observe him, her back being towards him. Come here, me love. Tom to O'Dwyer. No, no, O'Dwyer. Not your love. Not? No. No? Why, you are meeting her this morning for the first time. Well, that's true enough. Approaching the lady and handing her the part. Miss Brewster. Much obliged. O'Dwyer, quietly to her. It'll fit you like it, love, darling. The lady sits, conning her part. O'Dwyer returns to the table. Telfer to Rose. Your lover in the play? Which of these young sparks plays your lover, Harold or Gerald? Uh, Gerald? I don't know. There are some people not here today, I believe. Mr. Hunston. A second young gentleman advances, receives his part, and joins the other young gentleman in the wings. Not that young man, I hope. Isn't he a, a little bandy? One of the finest Macduffs I ever fought with was Bowlegged. Mr. Tallow. Tom to O'Dwyer. No, no. Telfer. Telfer. Telfer draws himself erect, puts his hand in his breast, but otherwise remains stationary. Mrs. Telfer anxiously. That's you, James. Come on, Mr. Telfer. Look alive, sir. 
Tom to O'Dwyer. Shh, shh, don't, don't. Telfer advances to the prompt table slowly. He receives his part from O'Dwyer. To Telfer awkwardly. I, um, I hope the little part of Pogs appeals to you, Mr. Telfer. Only a sketch, of course, but there was nothing else quite in your... Nothing? To whose share does the earl fall? Oh, uh, Mr. Denzil plays Lord Paracourt. Denzil? I've never heard of him. Will you get to me today? We, uh, we expect to do so. Very well. Stiffly. Let me be called in the street. He walks away. Mrs. Telfer relieved. Thank heaven. I was afraid that James would break out. Rose to Mrs. Telfer. But you, dear Mrs. Telfer, you weren't at the reading. What are you cast for? I? Wiping away a tear. I'm the wardrobe mistress of this theatre. You? Embracing her. Oh, oh. Mrs. Telfer composing herself. Miss Trelawney. Rose. My child, if we are set to scrub a floor, and we may come to that yet, let us make up our minds to do it legitimately, with dignity. She disappears and is seen no more. Mestralani, come here, my dear. Hush! Mestralani! Rose receives her part from O'Dwyer, and after a word or two with Tom and Imogen, joins the two young gentlemen who are in the second entrance left. The lady, who has been seated, now rises and crosses to the left, where she meets the keen-faced gentleman, who has finished his conversation with Imogen. The lady to the keen-faced gentleman. I say Mr. Denzil, who plays Gerald. Gerald? The man I have my scene with in the third act, the hero. Oh, yes. Oh, a young gentleman from the country, I understand. From the country. He's coming up by train this morning, Miss Parrot tells me. From... Bath or somewhere? Well, whoever he is, if he can't play that scene with me decently, my part's not worth brags. Tom to Imogen, who is sitting at the prompt table. Um, uh, shall we begin, Miss Parrot? Certainly, Mr. Wrench. We'll begin, O'Dwyer. The lady titters at some remark from the keen-faced gentleman. O'Dwyer coming down the stage violently. Clear the stage there, I not have it. Upon mine honor, this is the noisiest theater I ever set foot in. The icings are cleared, the characters disappearing into the green room. I can't hear myself speak for all the riot and confusion. My dear O'Dwyer, there is no riot, there is no confusion. I'm again to O'Dwyer. Except the riot and confusion you are making. You know, you're admirably earnest, O'Dwyer, but a little excitable. O'Dwyer, calming himself. Oh, I beg your pardon, I'm sure, now. Emphatically. My system is, begin as you mean to go on. But we don't mean to go on like that. Of course not, of course not. Now, let me see. Pointing to the right centre. We shall want another chair here. Another chair? A garden chair. O'Dwyer, excitably. Another chair? Now... Now then, another chair. Properties, where are ye? Do you hear me calling? Must I raise me voice to you? He rushes away. I'm a gent to Tom. Phew. 
where did you get him from tom wiping his brow known michael for years most capable invaluable fellow imogen simply i wish he was dead so do i o'dwyer returns carrying a light chair well where's the property man o'dwyer pleasantly it's all right now he's gone to dinner tom placing the chair in position ah then he'll be back sometime during the afternoon looking about him that will do taking up his manuscript call haven't you engaged a cowboy yet o'dwyer i have sir and the best in london where is he he has sent an apology for his non-attendance oh a sad case ma'am he's burying his wife wife the call boy what's his age you see he happens to be an elder brother of me own oh, oh lord. lord never mind let's go on calmness looking toward the right is that the hall-keeper a man suggesting by his appearance that he is the hall-keeper presents himself with a card in his hand o'dwyer furiously now then are we continually be interrupted in this fashion have i or have i not given the strict orders that nobody whatever hush hush see whose card it is give me the card o'dwyer handing the card to tom uh, i'll make the rules here in a week's time you'll not know this for the same theatre tom has passed the card to imogen without looking at it imogen staring at it blankly oh eh sir william sir william what can he want what shall we do tom after referring to his watch to the hall-keeper bring this gentleman on to the stage the hall-keeper withdraws to o'dwyer make yourself scarce for a few moments o'dwyer some private business all right i plenty to occupy me i'll begin to frame those rules he disappears imogen to tom not here tom to imogen the boy can't arrive for another twenty minutes besides we must sooner or later accept responsibility for our act imogen leaning upon his arm heavens i foretold this tom grimly i know said so all along if he should withdraw his capital tom with clenched hands at least that would enable me to write a melodrama why i should then understand the motives and the springs of crime the hall-keeper reappears showing the way to sir william gower sir william's hat is drawn down over his eyes and the rest of his face is almost entirely concealed by his plaid the hall-keeper withdraws tom receiving sir william how do you do sir william sir william giving him two fingers with a grunt uh, these are odd surroundings for you to find yourself in imogen comes forward miss parrot sir william advancing to her giving her two fingers good morning ma'am this is perfectly delightful what is imogen faintly your visit uh, weakly give me a chair looking about him have ye no chairs here yes tom places the throne chair behind sir william 
who sinks into it. Thank ye. Much obliged. To Imogen. Sit. Imogen hurriedly fetches the stool and seats herself beside the throne chair. Sir William produces his snuff-box. You are astonished at seeing me here, I dare say. Not at all. Sir William glancing at Tom. Addressing the lady. To Imogen. You are surprised to see me? Very. Sir William to Tom. Ah. Tom retreats, getting behind Sir William's chair and looking down upon him. The truth is, I am beginning to regret my association with ye. Imogen, her hand to her heart. <sighs> Tom, under his breath. <sighs> holding his fist over Sir William's head. Oh! Imogen, piteously. You... You don't propose to withdraw your capital, Sir William? That would be a breach of faith, ma'am. <sighs> Tom, walking about jauntily. Ha! Imogen seizing Sir William's hand. Friend! Sir William withdrawing his hand sharply. I'll thank you not to repeat that action, ma'am. But I... I have been slightly indisposed since I made your acquaintance in Clerkenwell. I find myself unable to sleep at night. To Tom. That comedy of yours... It buzzes continually in my head, sir. It was written with such an intention, Sir William, to buzz in people's heads. Ah, I'll take care you don't read me another, Mr. Wicks. At any rate, another which contains a character resembling a member of my family. A late member of my family. I don't relish being reminded of late members of my family in this way, and being kept awake at night, thinking, turning over in my mind. Imogen soothingly. Of course not. Sir William taking snuff. Pish! When I saw Keene as Richard, he reminded me of no member of my family. Shakespeare knew better than that, Mr. Wicks. To Imogen. And therefore, ma'am, upon receiving your letter last night, acquainting me with your intention to commence rehearsing your comedy. Glancing at Tom. His comedy. Imogen, softly. Our comedy. <sighs> Today at noon, I determined to present myself here and request to be allowed to... to... To watch the rehearsal. The rehearsal of those episodes in your comedy which remind me of a member of my family. A late member. Imogen constrainedly. Oh, certainly. Tom firmly. By all means. Sir William Rising assisted by Tom. I don't wish to be steered at by any of your, what do you call them, your gypsy crew. Ladies and gentlemen of the company, we call them. Sir William Tartley. I don't care what ye call them. Tom restores the throne chair to its former position. Put me into a curtained box where I can hear 
and see, and not be seen. And when I have heard and seen enough, I'll return home, and, and obtain a little sleep. And tomorrow I shall be well enough to sit in court again. Tom calling. Mr. O'Dwyer. O'Dwyer appears. Tom speaks a word or two to him, and hands him the manuscript of the play. Imogen to Sir William falteringly. And if you are pleased with what you see this morning, perhaps you will attend another. Sir William angrily. Not I. After today I wash my hands of ye. What do plays and players do coming into my head, disturbing my repose? More composedly to Tom, who has returned to his side. Your comedy has merit, sir. You call it life. There is a character in it. A young man. Not unlike life. Not unlike a late member of my family. Oblige me with your arm. To Imogen. Oh, madam, I have arrived at the conclusion that Miss Trelawney belongs to a set of curious people who in other paths might have been useful members of society. But after today, I've done with ye. Done with ye. To Tom. My box, sir. My box. Tom leads Sir William up the stage. Tom to O'Dwyer. Begin rehearsal. Begin rehearsal. Call Miss Trelawney. Tom and Sir William disappear. Miss Trelawney, Miss Trelawney. Rushing to the left. Mr. Lonnie, how long am I going to stand here shouting myself hoarse? Rose appears. Rose gently. Am I called? O'Dwyer instantly calm. You are, darling. O'Dwyer takes his place at the prompt table, book in hand. Imogen and Rose stand together in the center. The other members of the company come from the green room and stand in the wings, watching the rehearsal. Now then. Reading from the manuscript. At the opening of the play, Peggy and Dora are discovered. Who's Peggy? Where's Peggy? Am I too? Here I am. Here I am. I am Peggy. O'Dwyer calm. Of course you are, lovey. Not ma'am, I should say. Yes, you should. Peggy is seated on the right, Dora on the left. Rose and Imogen seat themselves accordingly. In a difficulty. Now, Peggy on the left, Dora on the right. Violently. This is the worst script I've ever held in me hand. Rose and Imogen change places. So horribly scrawled over interlined, and, and no, I was quite correct. Peggy on the right, and Dora on the left. Imogen and Rose again change seats. O'Dwyer reads from the manuscript. Peggy is engaged in... And I can't decipher this. A script like this is a disgrace to any well-conducted theatre. To Imogen. I don't know what you're doing. Dora is... is. To Rose. You're also doing something or another. Now then, when the curtain rises, you are discovered, both of you. Employed in the same way described. Tom returns. Ah, here you are. Resigning the manuscript to Tom and pointing out a passage. I've got it smooth as far as there. 
Thank you. O'Dwyer seating himself. You're welcome. Tom to Rose and Imogen. Ah, you're not in your right positions. Change places, please. Imogen and Rose change seats once more. O'Dwyer rises and goes away. O'Dwyer out of sight violently. A script like that's a scandal. If there's ever a living soul that can read bad handwriting, I am that man. But of all the... Hush, hush, Mr. O'Dwyer. O'Dwyer returning to his chair. Here. Tom taking the book from the prompt table and handing it to Imogen. You are reading. O'Dwyer, sotto voce. I thought so. Tom to Rose. You are working. Working. Tom pointing to the basket on the table. There are your needles and wool. Rose takes the wool and the needles out of the basket. Tom takes the ball of wool from her hand, places it in the center of the stage. You have allowed the ball of wool to roll from your lap onto the grass. You will see the reason for that presently. I remember it, Mr. Wrench. The curtain rises. To Imogen. Miss Parrot. Imogen referring to her part. What do I say? Nothing. You yawn. Imogen yawning in a perfunctory way. <sighs> As if you meant it, of course. Well, of course. You yawn must tell the audience that you are a young lady who may be driven by boredom to almost any extreme. O'Dwyer jumping up. This sort of thing. Yawning extravagantly. <sighs> Tom irritably. Thank you, O'Dwyer. Thank you. O'Dwyer sitting again. You're welcome. Tom to Rose. You speak. Rose reading from her part, retaining the needles and the end of the wool. What are you reading, Miss Chaffinch? I'm again reading from her part. A novel. And what is the name of it? The Seasons. Why is it called that? Because all the people in it do seasonable things. For instance? In spring, fall in love. In the summer? Become engaged. Delightful. Autumn? Merry. Heavenly. Winter? Quarrel. <laughs> Tom to Imogen. Close the book. With a bang. O'Dwyer bringing his hands together sharply by way of suggestion. Bang. Tom irritably. Yes, yes, O'Dwyer. To Imogen. Now rise. Up you get. And cross to Dora. Imogen going to Rose. Miss Harrington, don't you wish occasionally that you were engaged to be married? No. Not on wet afternoons? I am perfectly satisfied with this busy little life of mine as your aunt's companion. Tom to Imogen. Walk about discontentedly. Imogen walking about. I've nothing to do. Let's tell each other our ages. I am nineteen. Tom to Imogen. In a loud whisper. I am twenty-two. O'Dwyer rising and going to Tom. Now, hadn't you better make that six and twenty? Imogen joined them with asperity. Why? Why? No, no, certainly not. Go on. Imogen angrily. 
not till mr o'dwyer retires into his corner o'dwyer o'dwyer takes his chair and retires to the prompt corner out of sight with an air of martyrdom tom addresses rose you speak i shall think and feel the same when i am twenty-two i am sure i shall never wish to marry tom to imogen sit on the stump of the tree where's that tom pointing to the stool down the stage where that stool is imogen sitting on the stool miss harrington who is the mr gerald lee who is expected down to-day lord paracourt's secretary old and poor <laughs> neither i believe he is the son of a college chum of lord paracourt's so i heard his lordship tell lady macarchie and is destined for public life then he is young extremely i understand imogen jumping up in obedience to a sign from tom oh how can you be so spiteful i you mean he's too young too young for what too young for oh bother tom looking towards the keen-faced gentleman mr denzil o'dwyer putting his head round the corner mr denzil the keen-faced gentleman comes forward reading his part and meets imogen the gentleman speaking in the tones of an old man ah miss peggy tom to rose rise miss trelawney o'dwyer his head again appearing rise darling rose rises the gentleman to imogen your bravura has just arrived from london lady mccarchy wishes you to try it over and if i may add my entreaties imogen taking his arm delighted lord paracord to rose miss harrington bring your work indoors and hear me squall to the gentleman why you must have telegraphed to town the gentleman as they cross the stage yes but even telegraphy is too sluggish in executing all smallest command imogen and the keen-faced gentleman go off on the left he remains in the wings she returns to the prompt table why do miss chaffinch and her girlfriends talk of nothing think of nothing apparently but marriage ought a woman to make marriage the great object of life can there be no other i wonder she goes off the wool trailing after her and disappears into the green room the ball of wool remains in the centre of the stage tom reading from his manuscript the piano is heard and peggy's voice singing gerald enters imogen clutching tom's arm there ah yes here is mr gordon arthur appears in a travelling coat tom and imogen hasten to him and shake hands with him vigorously tom on arthur's right how are you imogen on his left nervously how are you arthur breathlessly miss parrot mr wrench forgive me if i am late my cab horse galloped from the station we have just reached your entrance have you read your part over read it taking it from his pocket i know every word of it it has made my journey from bristol like a flight through the air why mr wrench turning over the leaves of his part some of this is almost me 
Tom and Imogen nervously. <laughs> Come, you enter. Pointing to the right. There. Returning to the prompt table with Imogen. You stroll on, looking about you. Now, Mr. Gordon. Arthur advancing to the center of the stage, occasionally glancing at his part. A pretty place. I'm glad I left the carriage at the lodge and walked through the grounds. There is an exclamation proceeding from the auditorium, and the sound of the overturning of a chair. Oh! O'Dwyer appearing, looking into the auditorium. What's that? This is the noisiest theater I ever set foot in. Don't heed it. To Arthur. Go on, Mr. Gordon. Somebody's singing. A girl's voice. Lord Paracourt made no mention of anybody but his hostess, the dry Scotch widow. Picking up the ball of wool. This is Lady McArchie's. I'll be bound. The very color suggests spectacles and iron-gray curls. Dora returns. Calling. Dora. Dora, where are you? The gentleman going to the green room door. Dora. Dora. Rose appears in the wings. Rose to Tom. I'm sorry. Go on, please. There is another sound, nearer the stage, of the overturning of some object. What? Don't heed it. Rose coming face to face with Arthur. Oh. Rose. Go on, Mr. Gordon. Arthur to Rose, holding out the ball of wool. I beg your pardon. Are you looking for this? Ah, uh, yes, I... 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 Dropping her head upon his breast. Oh, Arthur. Sir William enters and comes forward on Arthur's right. Arthur. Arthur turning to him. Grandfather. O'Dwyer indignantly. Upon my soul. Leave the stage, O'Dwyer. O'Dwyer vanishes. Imogen goes to those who are in the wings and talks to them. Gradually, they withdraw into the green room. Rose sinks onto the stool. Tom comes to her and stands beside her. What's this? What is it? Arthur, bewildered. Sir, uh, I, you, and, and Rose are the last persons I expected to meet here. Ah. Perhaps you've both already learned from Mr. Wrench or Miss Parrot that I have become a gypsy, sir. Not I. Pointed to Tom and Imogen. These, these people have thought it decent to allow me to make the discovery myself. He sinks into the throne chair. Tom goes to Sir William. Arthur joins Imogen. They talk together rapidly and earnestly. Tom to Sir William. Sir William, the secret of your grandson's choice of a profession. Sir William, scornfully. Profession? Was one that I was pledged to keep as long as it was possible to do so. And pray remember that your attendance here this morning is entirely your own act. It was our intention. Sir William struggling to his feet. Where is the door? The way to the door. And let me beg you to understand this, Sir William, that Miss Trelawney was, till a moment ago, as ignorant as yourself of Mr. Arthur Gower's doings, of his movements, of his whereabouts. She would never have thrown herself in his way in this manner. Whatever conspiracy, 
conspiracy. The right word, conspiracy. Whatever conspiracy there has been is my own. To bring these two young people together again. To make them happy. Rose holds out her hand to Tom. He takes it. Sir William looking about him. The door! The door! Arthur coming to Sir William. Grandfather, may I, when rehearsal is over, venture to call in Cavendish Square? Call? Just to see Aunt Trafalgar, sir. I hope Aunt Trafalgar is well, sir. Sir William with a slight change of tone. Your great-aunt Trafalgar? Ah, oh, yes. I suppose she will consent to see ye. Ah, sir. But I shall be out. I shall not be within doors. Then, if Aunt Trafalgar will receive me, sir, do you think I may be allowed to... to bring Miss Trelawney with me? What? Ugh! I perceive ye have already acquired the impudence of your vagabond class, sir. The brazen effrontery of a set of... Rose rising and facing him. Forgive him, forgive him. Oh, Sir William, why may not Arthur become some day a splendid gypsy? Eh? Like... Sir William peering into her face. Like? Like... Yes, sir. A gypsy. Though of a different order from the old order which is departing. A gypsy of the new school. Sir William to Rose. Well, Miss Gower is a weak, foolish lady. For aught I know, she may allow this young man to... to... take ye. I would accompany Rose, of course, Sir William. Sir William tartly. Thank ye, ma'am. Turning. I'll go to my carriage. Sir, if you have the carriage here, and if you would have the patience to sit out the rest of the rehearsal, we might return with you to Cavendish Square. Sir William, uh, choking. <coughs> Grandfather, we are not rich people, and a cab to us. Sir William exhausted. Arthur! Sir William will return to his box. Going up the stage. Edwire. Sir William protesting weakly. No, sir, no. O'Dwyer appears. Mr. O'Dwyer, escort Sir William Gower to his box. Arthur goes up the stage with Sir William. Sir William still uttering protests. Rose and Imogen embrace. O'Dwyer giving an arm to Sir William. Lean on me, sir, heavily, sir. Shall we proceed with the rehearsal, Sir William, or wait till you are seated? Sir William violently. Wait! Confound ye! Do you think I want to remain here all day? Sir William and O'Dwyer disappear. Tom, coming forward with Arthur on his right, wildly. Go on with the rehearsal, Mr. Gordon and Miss Rose Trelawney. Miss Trelawney. Rose goes to him. Trelawney, late of the wells, let us, let... Gripping Arthur's hand tightly, he bows his head upon Rosa's shoulder. Oh, my dears, let us get on with the rehearsal. End of Act Four End of Trelawney of the Wells by Arthur Wing Panero